0: You can, uh, good morning, by the way, Uh, you can see uh, from that video that everybody's got a little bit of a different sense of uh, style and fashion uh, when it comes to Christmas time. Uh, You might find this hard to believe, but I'm really not much of a fashionista now when it... As a matter of fact, when I start thinking about getting dressed for like Christmas Eve and uh, Christmas services, I start to feel uh, just like a little bit stressed out about it because I just do not have an innate sense of fashion. Uh, I found uh, this shirt this morning and I was like, wow, this is a really like a Christmas green. Uh, You will probably see this the rest of the series Every, (laughs) every Sunday. I'm like, I think this works for Christmas, right? So, Uh, And and that's really uh, what this series is really about, is about Christmas style. Uh, uh, The the name of the series is Christmas Couture, and uh, what what we've designed this series around is the different kind of styles of writing that take place in the Bible. Uh, And so you've got, uh, last Sunday we talked about poetry, Uh, this morning we're going to talk about prophecy, we're going to talk about wisdom literature uh, next Sunday, and then... December 23rd, the Sunday, we kind of ask you to invite friends. We're going to have a Christmas concert that evening. Uh, That whole day is going to be a really special day. We're going to be talking about story, uh, the idea of narrative and and story. And so each of these uh, types of literature have a little bit of a different style, a little bit of a unique flavor, and uh, they all point to Jesus, which is fantastic. And so we're going to be uh, studying those uh, throughout this month. So let's go ahead and pray, um, and uh, then uh, we will uh, get into the series, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Um, Lord, I do thank you that um, the uh, entire Bible points to your son, Jesus. Uh, We want to worship him. We want to make him known. We want to celebrate him uh, this time of year. Uh, It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open them uh, to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 7. Isaiah, chapter 7. We actually won't have uh, the scripture uh, on the screen for you today, so you'll want to open up your Bibles uh, to check out Isaiah, Isaiah 7, about three-quarters of the way through your Old Testament, you can find Isaiah, all right? Now, Scott mentioned this in his uh, uh, offering meditation, but this is a time of year that really is all about anticipation, Right, anticipation. Right now, we're you know a week or two here into December. Anticipation is building uh, for for Christmas time. It's all about anticipation, and our culture has really bought into this idea. I think it starts with Black Friday. Uh, we get one day to celebrate Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, and then the next morning, uh, uh, you get your peppermint mocha at Starbucks, you get up at the crack of dawn, and you go murder someone for a DVD player. It's our, it's our culture's tradition. It's beautiful, all right? And, uh, but that that starts to build uh, anticipation for Christmas. Now, uh, do, do some of you remember the Sears catalog when you were kids? All right, yeah, okay. A lot, a lot of you do. I remember the Sears catalog would come, and it was like, you know, you could hit somebody in the head with this thing and take their life, right? It was a huge thing. And I remember as a kid, I would go through that catalog, and I thought I was being kind of sneaky, but um, I would star and circle the things that I wanted. I'd dog ear the pages, and then I would leave them in a spot for my mom to find so that they knew exactly uh, what I wanted for Christmas. Now, what I find interesting about this year is, I don't know if your mailbox is the same way, but catalogs are making a comeback uh, big time. We are getting more and more catalogs. So now my son gets to enjoy this tradition, right? Uh, He gets to circle, and someday Lila will as well. Um, uh, This year, I don't think she cares too much what she's getting. She's one year old but uh, Sam will dog-ear pages. He'll circle presents. We know exactly what he wants. But this whole gift-giving tradition, uh, it it starts uh, in November, and it builds anticipation to Christmas uh, Christmas Day. Think about the music that we listen to, all right? As soon as uh, Friday rolled around, we started playing music. It is building anticipation uh, for the big day. Think about Christmas decorating, all right? I don't know if you got caught into this trap as well, but we got lulled into a false sense of security with Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was as early, literally as early as it can be on the calendar. Thanksgiving was early. So we always do a tree. Uh, We do two trees in our house. We do one of them before Thanksgiving. And this year we thought, well, Thanksgiving is as early as it can possibly be. Let's just put off doing a tree until we get home. This is the latest we've ever gotten our decorations out this year, right? Right. Thanksgiving was as early as it could be, decorations got out as late as, but part of decorating is about building anticipation. You might have, uh, like we do, a little calendar that goes out, it's a little, um, a little mitten that you move as, as you get closer to Christmas. It's all part of building anticipation. The, the Christmas parties, uh, you can show up tonight and we're going to have a, a fun party of uh, doing a Christmas sing-along and, and all of that stuff. We have stuff all month long that you can participate in. We're building anticipation, and the Old Testament is the same way. A lot of the story of the Old Testament is building anticipation for the Christ child, building anticipation for Jesus. And you may not know um, this, but uh, there are more than 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And we're gonna go through them one, but no, we're not gonna do that, all right? Uh, We're we're, we're gonna look at one of those. I've got you here, we're gonna be done when we're done. No, no, Uh, there's 300 prophecies about Jesus. And every once in a while, um, there's this foolishness, I think, that goes around about how like Jesus, as he was getting older, like he realized that he could be considered the Messiah. And so he kind of did this con game or whatever, um, or that it just was coincidence that Jesus fulfilled so many of these prophecies. And uh, the reason I say it's foolishness is is that several uh, years ago, uh, Peter uh, Stoner, a statistician, he said this about Jesus, about the idea of this being a clever ruse, that he fulfilled these 300 prophecies prophecies. He said, we find the chance that any man uh, could have lived down even eight of the prophecies, one in 10 to the 17th power, right? Jesus fulfilled 300, all right, that, that's for A. He goes on to say uh, that say you were to take ten to the seventeen uh, power silver dollars and you laid them across the state of Texas and, and let's say you know you covered the state of Texas a couple feet deep in silver dollars and then you took a man and you blindfolded him and you took him to Texas and said you get to pick one silver dollar that's already been predetermined has a little star on it or whatever pick one silver dollar it's the same odds as picking uh, the right one on on the first chance uh, this is amazing what, what who Jesus said. That he fulfilled uh, 300 Old Testament prophecies. And and a lot of those, there's not even a lot of surmising about that or a lot of discussion about it. It's like where he was born, you know, who was in power, these sorts of things. That he fulfilled 300 of those prophecies. And and I want to show you one of them. I want to show you just one in Isaiah 7, uh, and you might actually have figured out what text we're going to study by all the songs that we sang, uh, because the phrase uh, that, that appears in Isaiah 7 well, was pretty dominant in our song service today. But I want to remind you before I read this uh, text about what we said uh, last week, that anytime it comes to a, a piece of prophecy or messianic literature, sometimes what it's called literature that points to the Messiah, you have to understand that there was a meaning for people when they first heard it. Right? This text meant something. This isn't just about Jesus. This text meant something to them. But the Holy Spirit, in this really beautiful way, authored this text and knew that someday people would be reading it and they would get to see Jesus. And we are those people. It's a beautiful, incredible thing that there's 300 of these texts that we get to go back now and read and say, oh, Jesus, I see Jesus in this text. And it's a beautiful and incredible thing. So if you ever, if you just want to go home uh, and, and Google, like, prophecies Jesus fulfilled, uh, it'll be a really fun read for you this Christmas, all right? I promise you. Because you're in this beautiful, amazing position where we get to read those now and say, man, Jesus and only Jesus fulfilled these. What an incredible, beautiful thing, all right? This is called Isaiah 7, the sign of Emmanuel. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was the king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Romaliah, king of Israel, marched up against Jerusalem, but they could not out- overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and the people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, uh, you and your son, Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct by the upper pool, notice the detail of the Bible, on the road to Launderer's Field, right? What a great name for a property. This is Launderer's Field, right? Um... (laughs) You don't want to go there by yourself, all right? Say to him, be careful, keep calm, do not be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezan and Aram and of the son of Romalia, Aram, Ephraim, Romalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet, one of the great words of the Bible... This is what they plotted against you, yet. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Romalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord my God to the test. Then Isaiah said, here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? (laughs) Will you not try the patience of God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, all right? You don't ask for one, I'm going to give you one. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Emmanuel. He will, And that, that's the part we all know. This is the part that's not on a Christmas card. He will be eating curds and honey, right? Merry Christmas, right? Um, uh, when he knows enough to reject the, the right, uh, to, when he, to reject the wrong and choose the right, for before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the hand of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people, on your house, your father, a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Now, here's what's happening in this text, All right? I think it's important that we do just a little bit of history, all right? I know that Christmas time isn't a time where we necessarily want to study history, but I think it's important that there are two armies, Aram and Ephraim, and they have allied together. And they are marching against the nation of Judah uh, to to divide it up and and make it a separate country. And I love what the text says. When they hear that these two kings have conspired against them and are marching against them, the people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And immediately, you notice in verse 7, I wanted to highlight this to you. In verse 7, God immediately says, it will not take place. It will not happen. God says you can trust me. I'm going to intervene. They are not going to defeat you. But Ahaz the king has a hard time believing God. When God says this is I'm telling you right now, this is not going to happen. Ahaz has a hard time believing God. He's not very hopeful. He's scared of these two kings that have allied together. And so God says, "All right, fine. You don't believe my word. Ask me for a sign." And Ahaz was born in the morning. It wasn't yesterday morning. He's scared to ask for a sign, right? He's nervous about asking God for a sign because he was taught not to do that. But God invites him to do that. He says, ask me for a sign and he won't. And so God says, All right, I'm just going to give you a sign. And the sign is this, a virgin. All right, most likely uh, the original meaning of this text back in the Old Testament, this was probably a very young girl Uh, whose pregnancy would have shocked the community, all right? So it's a young enough girl that when she became pregnant, everybody's shocked by her pregnancy. And he says, when you find out this girl is pregnant, and everybody's kind of murmuring and shocked by what happened, "When, when you hear about this pregnancy, then you will know what I'm saying is true. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep my word. And sure enough, everything happened just as the scripture says, and, and, and God demonstrated that, that he was with them, fighting for them on their side. History proved all this to be true. The two armies ended up being defeated, and God kept his promise. And we learned this first lesson. Here it is on the screen for you. We learned the power of God's presence with his people. Think about that for a minute. All right, this is Christmas time where we really, I'm gonna talk about this later, but this is Christmas time where we celebrate God's presence in a really special way through Jesus. But just think about that statement just for a minute. It ought to blow us away. God is present with his people. God is present with you. God is present with me. And sometimes that is, shows up in a fairly dramatic way where the armies of this earth are conspiring against us Right And God's presence shows itself in a really powerful way. And essentially God says, no, no, you will not defeat my men. You will not defeat my, no, this is not happening. And it's dramatic and it's powerful and it's incredible. And sometimes you don't have to read the Bible very long to discover this. Sometimes the armies do advance and and God's presence is shown in a different way. In those stories, God's presence is with you in the battle. While the battle is waging around you, you have this joy, hope, and peace from your heavenly Father that surpasses understanding. And everybody around you is like, I don't think you get this situation. Right, I don't know if you've noticed, Steve, there's a battle waging around you. You don't seem to get this. If I have this joy, hope, and peace, that is Emmanuel God with you, just like like the others. Just like him defeating the army is, him standing with you in the battle is just as much his presence. God is present with his people. And so this is a story that reminds us of that. But the, the uh, second Kings tells this story as well. And, and this story is also a reminder of what happens when we forget that God is present with his people. So in the second Kings story, uh, it includes a little more detail where Ahaz is shaken to the wind by these armies advancing. And God says, I'm telling you, it won't happen. They're not going to defeat you. Trust in me. It's not going to happen. And Ahaz is still shaken. He says, ask me for a sign. Here, and I'm not going to ask for a sign. Here's the sign. Virgin will be with child. And then in the second king story, Ahaz still doesn't believe. And he does the most unthinkable thing you can imagine. He goes out to a third army, all right, another army, the Assyrian army. And he says, I will give you gold. I will give you a place in my nation. Just come in and protect us. So in the second Kings story, Ahaz just completely, his faith fails. He doesn't believe the sign. He doesn't believe the words of God. And he goes out and he gets Assyria as kind of a backup, as kind of a henchman. And that's why at the end of the story that I read to you, God says, hey, I'm going to keep my word. These two armies are not going to defeat you. These two armies that have conspired against you, I'm keeping my word. They're not going to defend you. And then he says, Assyria is on you. Assyria is on you. Assyria was your decision. And sure enough, years later, it was years later, years later, Assyria conspires against Judah and ends up beating them badly, taking them over from the inside out. They had been invited in because of Ahaz's lack of faith and trust In the words of God, it is a reminder to trust the Lord, to trust that He is with us, to trust that He is on our side, to trust that He is fighting for us, to trust His word, to trust His presence. I sometimes uh, find myself counseling people that rushed into a marriage or rushed into a job opportunity, or rushed into a situation because they felt so strongly that this was a problem that needed to be solved, but it wasn't God's best for them. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't God's best for them. So they turned to Assyria for a backup. They turned to Assyria for a backup, and it almost always goes badly. This story is a reminder to trust God's presence, to trust his words, to trust his character, to believe that he's fighting for us. He's present with us and he has a plan and never, ever, ever turn to less than. Never turn to Assyria when you have your heavenly father. And I think that this is tricky I think it's tricky when things are not going well, especially it's tricky like they were at the beginning of the story. When you see the armies, uh, metaphorically, when you see the armies conspiring against your defeat, when you see the winds of of difficulty coming and it's getting closer and closer and closer, it is in that moment when you see the advancing army that it is hard to trust your heavenly father to not turn to Assyria, your henchman, as a backup, right? It is hard, but the greatest thing Israel could have remembered, the greatest thing Judah could have remembered is God is present. God is powerful Trust him, so I'm not a prophet in terms of being able to see your future. I don't know if 2019 will be a year of challenge for you or a year of victory, but here's what I know. He's Emmanuel. I know this, he's Emmanuel. He is present. He is with you every step of the way. One of the things, one of the descriptions I love about Jesus is that he's the Alpha and the Omega He's the beginning and the end. So one of the things that this means is certainly Jesus was there in the beginning. One of the other things that this means is that Jesus is in the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what obstacles you're going to face. And he is already present there, waiting for you to help you, to empower you, to motivate you, to be present with you. He's waiting for you ahead So we don't know what 2019 is going to be like. And for some of us, that gives us a lot of anxiety. We don't know what 2019 is going to be like. Jesus does. He's there waiting for you. And he's ready to help you. And I think that's an incredible, incredible thing. And I have to tell you, um, I've I've told you guys this about every year that I've been here. This is a weird time of year for me. Right? Christmas is a weird time of year for me uh, because one of my most devastating moments in my life and one of my most joyful moments in my life happened at Christmas, Uh, 17 years old, uh, my December 20th, uh, when I was 17 years old, uh, my mom passed away from a brain aneurysm. Just very suddenly, very quickly, uh, she passed away, just devastating. Uh, 10 years and one week later, I married Cheryl, December 27th. Uh, 10 years and and one week later, and it was easy for me to see God is with me, fighting for me when he brought me to my wife. Uh, He rescued me from a lot of trouble beforehand, right? So it was easy for me to see that. It was harder for me to see it when my mom passed away. I'm just going to be honest with you. Of God with me, God fighting for me, God present with me. But let me put this on the screen for you. What I've learned is this. He was Emmanuel in both. He was with me in both. He was actively with me, leading me, fighting for me when he led me to Cheryl, no doubt. But when my mom passed away, I can see how he was with me then too. Empowering me, helping me, increasing my faith, building my integrity, teaching me to rely on him. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I wanted. If I had my choice, I would have probably chosen for God to be with me in a different way during that season. But ultimately, God did something good. He was Emmanuel. God with me. And I promise you this Christmas, that's who he is for you too. He is Emmanuel. God with you. So this is a time of year uh, when children uh, write letters to Santa Claus. I think that's predominantly a child thing to do, right? Okay. Some of you, some, some of you are like, "What are you talking about?" I still do that, right? So uh, it's a time of year where children write letters to Santa Claus and. They hope to get everything their heart desires from him under the Christmas tree. And there's great happiness when he delivers and great disappointment when he does not. And I think we sometimes confuse God with Santa Claus. So you know what the present under the tree is? The greatest gift under the tree, uh, it is not power, it is not good health, it is not money. I know you expect the preacher to say this, but I'm going to say it nonetheless. The greatest present under the tree is Jesus. It is God's presence with you. It is God's presence with me. And I don't want you to miss that this Christmas because to miss that is to miss Christmas right? To miss that the main present under the tree is is Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, this baby lying in a manger, I think best exemplifies. As a matter of fact, when people started talking about who Jesus was, this is one of the names they called him. I'll put it on the screen for you. Emmanuel, God with us. Because Jesus was this incredible example of God is present. He is with us. He has left heaven and he has come to earth fighting for us, empowering us, helping us, teaching us. He is with us. And Jesus was God's best example of that maybe. And when the people of Israel heard Jesus being referred to as Emmanuel, I think they thought of this story. I think they thought of oh you remember Ahaz and the whole army's coming against him and God he God told him to ask for a sign and then God gave him a sign and he went out and got a serious help anyway remember that whole story? I think they remembered the story and then they made the same mistake. <laughs> right? They heard they remembered the story. I promise you they did. And then they did the exact same thing at the time of Jesus' birth Rome was occupying Israel. And and people, like Scott said, people were eager for a Messiah. They were eager for a Savior. And Jesus is born. You know, the angels announced his birth. The wise men came and brought him gifts. And Jesus is born, and he is called Emmanuel, God with us. And immediately, when people started kind of perceiving that Jesus had answered all of these prophecies, that that, that Jesus just ticked them off one by one and and that he was and is the Messiah, they immediately began to have a plan for Jesus, an agenda for Jesus. So, oh, I know how he's going to be Emmanuel with us. I know what he's gonna do. He's gonna amass an army and he's gonna give us weapons and we are going to drive Rome out of our nation once and for all. And Jesus gets to the age where he begins his ministry and he begins to talk about their relationship to God. And he begins to talk about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. And they begin to have these thoughts. I didn't really want to pray for them, Jesus, I kind of wanted to defeat them, right? And and Jesus began, pray for your enemies, pray for those, uh, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And Jesus began to talk about peace on earth. And Jesus began to talk about uh, things like holy living and uh, adultery and living the right kind of life. And they began to think, no, 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 no. This is not Emmanuel God with us. This is not what we thought it was. And they got so angry that they crucified him. And I do the same thing sometimes. I tend to have kind of a narrow view of what Emmanuel, God with me, is going to look like. I tend to have a pretty, very, pretty narrow view of what that is going to look like, and maybe you do too. Maybe you're sitting here today and you hear, Emmanuel, God is with me. He's fighting for me. He's present with me. He's helping me. And maybe for you, you're like, that means he's going to fill in the blank. That means he's going to fix my marriage. That means he's going to give me a better paying job. That means I'm going to win the lottery, right? That means he's going to heal my disease. And sometimes God with me, fighting for me, helping me, doesn't look like what I think it's going to look like. And sometimes my reaction is, and and sometimes your reaction is, well, if that's not who Emmanuel is, he must not love me or he must not care for me. And we turn our back on him. And because he didn't do our thing, we miss out on him doing his thing. And can I say in love, his thing is probably better than your thing, right? And so we miss out on all the ways that he's being Emmanuel, all the ways that he's fighting for us, helping us, motivating us, teaching us. We miss out on all of those things because he didn't do it our way. And I wanna encourage you, let Emmanuel be Emmanuel. Let God with you be God with you. Let him do what he wants to do. Let him do what he needs to do. Open up your heart and your mind this this Christmas to Emmanuel, God with you. I promise you he's with you. I promise you he has a plan for you. Let God be God. You do you. right, we say that to all of our son all the way. You just do you, right? You don't need to worry about what mom and dad are doing. You just do you, right? And I would say the same thing to us. Let's just, Steve do Steve. Let God do God. And I follow him and I trust him every step of the way. So I don't know what your situation is. Best Christmas, worst Christmas. I don't know, but I do know and I don't want you to miss out on this. Let me put this up on the screen for you. You are not alone. You are not alone. That was the lesson to Israel thousands of years before and that is the lesson in the manger scene that you are not alone. He is with you. So Jesus came and he was called Emmanuel and he started his ministry and three years in he was killed, crucified, and buried. And you might imagine the sense of loss that his friends felt. They felt like uh, he was gone from them and then three days later he rose again and he, before he ascended back to heaven he said something really, really interesting that I want to share with you. Said so then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go which I, I think is kind of cool. He's like, hey, I'm going to meet you here and I want to talk to you. All right. Kind of cool. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's what I want you to see. Surely I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age, to the very end of the age. He is with you. He is with you. To the person fighting cancer, he is with you. To the person going through marriage difficulty, he is with you. To the person facing unemployment, he is with you. To the person struggling, with depression this Christmas. He is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And that looks like a lot of different things, and it comes in a lot of different ways. Let God be God. Let him do what he's going to do. But today, I just want to encourage you with, with this, that he is with us to the very end of the age that he went before he left uh, uh, after he left when the early church was first gathered he left his Holy Spirit and Christians have been receiving his Holy Spirit ever since because you might be tempted to think man he was here for 33 years God with us for 33 years now what about the rest of us right what about the rest of us I mean we have his words and we have his life which is cool but what about us he says no 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 when he said he was with you to the very end of the age he meant he was leaving you his Holy Spirit God inside of us with us Present uh, forever, helping us, encouraging us, equipping us. He's already ahead of you. He knows what you're going to face this year. He has a plan for it. He's with you. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for this reminder that He is Emmanuel, God with us. And man, Christmas, there are a few uh, times of the year where, where it's more fun to celebrate this than this time of year, where we get to celebrate uh, that little baby in the manger, representing this kind of kingdom of God that had come to earth, Jesus present for 33 years, and then leaving us his Holy Spirit, so that we would always know this truth. We are not alone. We are not alone. You are with us, you have a plan for us. Help us to not turn to Assyria, which is, like this thing in us that sometimes is like, I got to handle this problem. I got to make something happen. Help us to be restful in you, patient with you, uh, waiting for you. And that when you say you've got it, when you say you're present, we would believe you. And that we would know we're not alone. That we would know we're not alone. We thank you again for Jesus. We thank you for the communion we're about to receive as a celebration of this truth. It is in his name that we pray, amen. So this is an opportunity for us to celebrate uh, and remember this time where Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He was God with us here on earth for those 33 years. And then he died and it seemed like all was lost. It seemed like maybe God wasn't gonna be present and he left us, his Holy Spirit, to be with us. And this is an opportunity for us to remember this truth. And so we're going to pass out communion here in just a minute. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body on the cross. The other has some juice representing his blood. And as you hold that, I'm going to come back up in just a minute, and we'll take it all together as a church family. But as you're holding that communion, I want you to just kind of quietly say this to yourself. You may may even say it out loud. I am not alone. I am not alone. He is is present. He came to earth. He forgives my sins. He leaves me his Holy Spirit. I am not alone. God, Jesus is with me to the very end of the age. So we'll have our uh, community guys pass it out, and then I'll come back up in just a minute.